Well, we're so glad that you're here this morning, and, and I'm excited to open the Word of God with you and, and look at what uh, the Scriptures have for us. Um, and, and so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we, we've got a couple of small verses to get to, and then uh, we're going to spend some time in Second Chronicles and then in Acts. So uh, I don't know if you want to stick your fingers there, just follow along whenever I get to it up here on the screen. Uh, but that's, that's where we're going to be today. Let me make sure that this is, are we, are we tracking up here? We are. All right, good deal. So this morning, uh, we're going to talk about prayer and, and what an important part that is in the life of a church. Um, and, um, and, and let me just tell you, this is, this is challenging to me, and so I'm going to get into it uh, with you and talk about some things that we've been lacking in this area. And, and so uh, just so you know, I'm not preaching at you as much as I'm just delivering the Word of God for us, because I'm included in all of this. But uh, we're going to talk about prayer this morning. We've been talking about what it is to be the church. We, we established that Jesus Christ established the church in the very beginning, that he said, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what he was saying was the establishing the rock on which he was establishing the church was on his identity as the Messiah, as the one who came from God to deliver us from our sins and to give us peace once and for all with God. And everything that the church does should be founded on that principle. Everything that we do should be focusing us towards that truth. It's foundational of everything else we do. And from there, we've talked about several other things about what it means to be the body of Christ, about how we are to use our gifts to accomplish the will of God. And, and we talked about what it means to be a member of the universal church of Christ. By universal, I just mean in general, you are a Christian, then you are a part of the church. Because the church is not a building, the church is not just an organization, the church is you and the church is me. That God calls on us to be the church. And so being a Christian makes us a member of the church. We talked about baptism as being one of the ordinances that the churches are to establish as a, a means of identifying ourselves with Christ. And we talked about the Lord's Supper, about it being, again, a proclamation of our need for a Savior again and again and again. And God uses those things to strengthen our faith, to give us more reassurance of what it is that we believe. And today, what I want to talk to you about, as last week we talked about the message of the church, today I want to talk about the need for prayer, about how desperately the church needs prayer to be a bigger part of what we do. As we need the message as, as we need the Word of God to deliver the message, we need the power of God to accomplish the will that He wants us to accomplish. And prayer is how we tap into that power. If you're like me and you grew up in church, you know how important prayer is. And probably you know this passage of Scripture that says, Pray without ceasing. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It's a very short quick verse. It's in a series of other statements there. But pray without ceasing is a command that's given to us as Christians, to pray without ceasing means that we continually stay in prayer. Now, that changes the way that we understand what prayer is because if the command of Scripture is to pray without ceasing, and you have this idea that prayer means that you've got to go into a, a quiet corner and you've got to bow your head and close your eyes, then it would be hard to drive to work while praying without ceasing. And so what, what this tells us is this, that God wants us to be in communication with him on a constant basis. And, and we are to be praying without ceasing, praying 
all the time. It's almost as if God should be kind of at your side at any moment of the day. You should know that his presence goes with you wherever you go, and you can stop and pray, or you can just continue what you're doing and pray that God would be with you and give you guidance and direction throughout your day. And God wants to do that. God wants to be there with you, and that's why he commands us to pray without ceasing. He's always there, and so we have access to the power of God at any moment of our day. The early church understood the importance of prayer. In fact, the very first Christians, this, was on, this is in Acts chapter 2. This was the day of Pentecost. If you remember the story, the, the disciples had gone back to Jerusalem, and they were kind of hiding out because Jesus had just been killed, and they knew that they were kind of marked men. And so they were staying together, and they were praying with one another. That's what Jesus had told them to do, to go back and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. The Spirit comes upon them, and they begin to speak with languages that they don't even know. And God uses them to proclaim a message of of the gospel to people who gather there just to see the spectacle. And the Scripture tells us that 3,000 souls were added to their numbers that day. As Peter stood and he preached the gospel, he preached that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. 3,000 people said, you are right. Um, they were pierced to the heart, the scripture says, and they surrendered to God's call on their life. They said, we want to be Christians. What must we do to be saved? We want to be a part of this. And then in Acts 2.42, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's a reference to the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. In other words, the first church, they came to salvation. They understood who Jesus was, that he was the answer that they'd been waiting for. He was the Messiah that they knew was coming. And they they responded to that call, and they said, so now what do we do? And it tells us that there were these four things that they were devoted to. Four things that they were constantly making time for. Four things that they saw as most critical. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. As we talked last week, that's so that we would know the message of the gospel. The church is to have a message. We're to have an impact on the culture around us. And we're to share the gospel wherever we go. In order to do that, we need to devote time to studying it, to learning it, to understanding it. And the early church was devoting themselves to that. It says that they were devoting time to fellowship. You know, we learned that the Bible tells us that we are the body of Christ, that we are members of one another, and therefore we need to get along with one another. Therefore, we need to have fellowship with one another in, in that we have that unity. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And so they were devoting time to fellowship, devoting time for them getting together so that they could be the family of God. And they could foster those relationships with one another. It says that they were devoting time to <clears throat> the breaking of bread. In other words, they knew that that was an absolute important part of practicing their Christian faith, was remembering that Christ's body was broken, that his blood was shed. And then it says that they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. I think it's probably just because they just took Jesus at his word. In John chapter 14, 
Jesus told his disciples this. He said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Listen, that was a promise given to his disciples. And if you belong to Christ today, you are one of his disciples. This is a promise given to us. God answers prayer. And I know there are some of you out there that you have that story where you would stand and testify, yes, God answers prayer. Let me tell you what he did in my life. But all too often, we don't live as if God answers prayer. We don't live like we really believe that God responds to his people praying. The early church, they knew God, Jesus said that he'll do what we ask. So let's spend some time asking. Let's spend some time getting together. The sad reality is that in a lot of churches, including this one, that there are times where it just prayer kind of becomes punctuation in our services. What I mean by that, it's prayer is that transition thing. We do it, you know, we're going to pray to get started. We're going to pray whenever we transition from music to opening the Word of God, and then we pray at the end. And prayer just is this punctuation that we use in between in a worship service. And we can really be, we are prone, as creatures of habit, we are prone to just fall into that trap where prayer just kind of becomes this thing we do. We do it before we eat a meal. We do it in my house. We do it before bed. It's something that we do ritualistically and we forget that there is real power in prayer. And there is a call and there is, there is evidence within Scripture that whenever we pray there should be some times that we're praying alone, earnestly, in our own hearts. Truly, we're to pray without ceasing. That means every day, all day, as we go, prayer should be part of our, our normal thought life, so to speak. It should be part of our normal routine to just stop and pray and offer things to the Lord. Asking for His guidance. Asking for His help and strength. But also there are several, several instances in Scripture where we see God respond to corporate prayers. And today I want to look at two passages. There are two passages that, that came to mind as I was preparing for this. And, and they are in, the first one is in 2 Chronicles. Now in 2 Chronicles, the story is that we are, we are in the time of the kings of, of Israel. This is the time whenever David was, was the second king. We had Saul and then David. And David established peace on all sides. And then when David died, his son Solomon became king in his place. Another thing that David wanted to do was he wanted to build a temple to honor the Lord. God's presence was, was being worshipped in a tent. And David said, it shouldn't be that I live in this beautiful house and my God is worshipped in a tent. And, God, and David said, I'm going to build a, a house for the Lord. And God told him, no, you're not going to do that. Now, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you peace on all sides. And you can gather materials, but it's going to be your son, Solomon, who builds a house for me. And so Solomon does exactly that. And, and in Solomon's day, Israel was wealthy beyond measure. The silver was something that they just kind of stockpiled in, in the corners because they just had too much of it. 
It, it just became something where, where wealth was so at hand. And Solomon was able to build the most beautiful temple that anyone could have imagined. They had skilled laborers. They had the, the best building materials. They shipped in things from, from other countries around them. And they built the most elaborate temple that could be. And then Solomon prayed. In Second Chronicles chapter 6, Solomon prays for the, the consecration of the house of God. The consecration of the temple. And we're not going to read his entire prayer. We're going to catch the, the end of it here in Second Chronicles chapter 6, starting in verse 40. So this is at the very end of chapter 6 in Second Chronicles. But Solomon has gathered all the people together to the temple that has been built. And so they, all the people who are able come to the temple... And they are blessing, they're, they're preparing the priests. They, they have put the, the Ark of the Covenant into the holy place. They are ready for the temple worship to begin. And they are calling on the presence of God to dwell there. And Solomon prays this, beginning in verse 40. He says, Now, O my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, to your resting place. You and the ark of your might, let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember your loving kindness to your servant David. And then in chapter 7, if you keep reading, he says, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. It was such a, a divine presence. It was such an overwhelming presence of God that the priests could not enter in to conduct the work of the worship of God. And it says this, All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshipped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly He is good. Truly His loving kindness is everlasting. Amen. The people of God came together and they prayed for God's presence to come down, to, to be in that place, to hear their prayers. And God responded. And God responded in such a way that He received even more glory, even more honor, because the people saw that God moved and that God answered their prayers. Later that night, the Lord appears to Solomon. It says in verse 12, 2 Chronicles 7, 12. The Lord appeared to Solomon at night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And he makes this promise to him. He says, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. He says this, but, and if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. God makes a promise that he will hear us. He puts some requirements on us. He puts some, some expectations on our end. He, he tells us that we are to humble ourselves, that we're to pray and seek his face, that we're to turn from our wicked ways, but God will hear us. God promises at his own word to hear our prayers. Now listen, years ago, I, I remember sitting in a class one time about prayer. I, I, I've done the Christian thing a long time, and I, I went to school at a Christian school. We had Bible class every day of the week. And, and I remember the, the discussions about prayer and this, <clears throat> the call here that, that God will answer prayer. So often we live like that's not true. And so often we miss out on what God has in store for us because we don't come before God and pray. God wants to forgive us. God wants to heal our land. God wants to establish us with peace and protection. And God wants to use us in mighty ways. He wants His presence to dwell among us. He wants us to know that He's there with us. And so often we don't pray and ask for him to be here and ask for his presence to be known in this place and because we don't pray we don't see God but there is power in God's people coming together to pray with one heart and one mind the other passage of scripture that that came to mind is in Acts chapter 4 in Acts chapter 4 this is you know, two chapters after the last passage of Acts we talked about, right? So this is the early church days, and Peter and John are going to the temple. And on their way to the temple, <clears throat> as they're passing through one of the gates, there's a man there who is calling out for people to give, give alms to him. But to, he's, he's crippled. He's not able to walk, and, and he sits at the temple day in and day out, and, and he waits for people coming by, and he asks for people to give to him. Right, you're, you're coming to the house of the Lord. seems like a good place. You maybe have sympathy in your heart. Maybe this is a place where people will toss coins to me. And so he's there, and he, he's calling out, and, and Peter and John make eye contact with him. And they come over to him, and he, he asks for an offering, and what they, do, they say to him, they say, I don't have any silver and gold. I, as a kid growing up, I heard it, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I offer to you. And they say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And sure enough, this guy who had been lame for 40 years stands up and walks. Not just walks, right? He doesn't just kind of limp around. He, he's able to run and jump, and he's shouting for joy because he's able to use his legs, and he's never been able to do that before. And he's, he's causing such a commotion that people kind of turn and look and see what's going on. And it, it becomes apparent to everyone there that it was Peter and, and John 
who were responsible for this guy acting the way that he's acting. Now he's giving praise to God, and he's giving glory to God, and, and Peter and James, no, Peter and John, they, they again give glory to God. And as this crowd gathers and they want to find out more about what happened, maybe to see if they could get a miracle too, Peter and John preach to them about Jesus. They say, well, maybe you were ignorant of who Jesus was, but he was the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And it's in his name that this work has been done, and he is worthy of our devotion. And whenever the religious leaders, the, the people who work in the temple and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they hear this going on and they're preaching about Jesus, they pull them aside. And they, they say, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And they pull them into a, a secret council so that they can get the, the facts themselves. Instead of hearing the reports from the crowd and, and also to stop them from speaking to the crowd, they pull them aside and they're like, whoa, whoa what's going on? And as they question them, they say, now, this man is walking. How did that happen? In whose name did you cause that to happen? And they tell him it's in Jesus' name. In fact, Peter gives this, uh, this statement here. He says, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's Acts 4.12. This is, we had a discussion about this on, on Wednesday night. For the, if you're not coming to the guys' uh, Bible time, it's really, really fun. We, we play pool, but we have a good discussion. And we talked about this particular passage. This is an important statement that, that Peter makes here. There's no other name where salvation comes from. This guy has been healed at the name of Jesus because that is the name above all other names. And he makes this statement before the Sanhedrin, before the, this council of elders of, of, of Judaism, and he is telling them Jesus was the Messiah. That does not sit well with them. And so they send them out, and then they confer together. They're like, what are we going to tell them to do? And basically they recognize we can't, we can't beat them, we can't punish them, because they're giving pra all the people are giving praise to God for a miracle that has happened. So if we flog these guys, we're going to look like we're on the wrong team. So they, they decide together, they're like, well, what are we going to do? Because they're preaching about Jesus. And this is what they decide. It says in, in verse 18 of Acts chapter 4. It says, when they had summoned them, they brought them back in. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's their commandment. Don't speak, don't teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered. They said to them, whether it is right in your sight, excuse me, rather, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. They're saying, look, God has convinced us that we're to preach in the name of Jesus. You're saying, don't preach in the name of Jesus. So you tell me, should I listen to you or should I listen to God? And they said, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. It doesn't really tell us what their response was. It just says this, when they had threatened them further, they let them go. 
finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. They said, well, just stop it, basically. That's all they can say. Don't, don't preach in the name of Jesus. We can't really punish you. We can't really hold you any longer. We, we don't really have the power or the authority to do that, but you better stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And I don't know what these threats hold, but they, remember, just had Jesus killed at the hands of the Romans. So they obviously had some sway, and they had some authority, and they had some power to end their life if necessary. And they're threatening them not to preach in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John are released, and they go back, and they gather with the other believers. This is what it says. Look with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. It says, When they had been released, they went to their own companions. They reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. This is corporate prayer. They're gathered in one place. They've reported what's going on. And they, together with one voice, ask the Lord to intervene. Now listen, they didn't hand out pieces of paper and say, everybody pray this prayer with me. You know, there was probably one leader, but they were all in agreement as one person prayed. And they prayed this prayer, and it says this, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city... They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. What they're saying is this God, you created everything, you set it all in motion. And hundreds of years ago, you had David say these words, and they quoted scripture. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples rage against the Lord and against His anointed? And they say, we just saw that happen. Because Jesus, your Messiah, your Christ, your anointed one, was right here in the midst of this city. And the peoples rose up against Him, and the Gentiles put Him to death. But God, we can see that it was all part of your plan. You had David write about it hundreds of years ago. We watched it happen just in the last few months. We know, we know that you're in control. So as they gather together and they're praying together, they all acknowledge that God is in control. And then they pray this. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. I've always loved that. They don't say, bring their threats over onto their own heads. 
They don't say put all those bad people to death for us. They don't ask for them to be protected or sheltered from their threats. They say, God, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. I say, God, it's all in your hands. God, this threat is weighing heavy on our hearts. We're just asking you to take note of it, but we're asking that you would give us boldness to do what you've called us to do. They say not to preach in the name of Jesus. We want the boldness to preach in the name of Jesus because that is what you've called us to do. Give us boldness as we go. And it says this, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They're asking for God to move in miraculous ways. And it says, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Listen, this is a group of people who are gathered together in the name of Jesus with one thing on their hearts together. They were gathered in one accord to lift up prayer to God. And as they prayed with one heart for the will of God to be accomplished, God moved in. God moved in a way that only He would receive the glory. It says the place where they had gathered was shaken. I've been a part of some, some pretty awesome prayer meetings in my past. I've never been in a place where I felt the presence of God in such a way that the place where I was gathered was shaken. But God revealed His presence to them in a powerful way, and it says that whenever they left there, they left with the boldness that they had asked for. It was evident to all of them. They knew that God was on their side. They knew that they had prayed in the presence of God and that God had heard their prayer. And God was answering their prayer. Listen, if we're to be the church that Christ established, we should be praying together. We should be calling on the name of the Lord with one accord. We should be gathering together with our heavy hearts and sharing those burdens with one another so that we can pray for one another. Not just individually, not just alone whenever we're back at home, but together, coming together to pray for what is on our hearts. And we haven't done enough of that. So this has been on my heart for a good while. And I thought as I was preparing, maybe this is God telling me it's time. As we know that this is part of every church, we need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We do that. We look at the scriptures, we examine them, we invite you to come and be a part of of Bible studies. We're devoted to fellowship. We we try to have as much opportunity to share life together as we can, and and I know that you meet in each other's homes and, and visit with one another outside of the walls of this place. We're to be devoted to the breaking of bread and the Lord's Supper. We're trying to get better at that, being more devoted to it more often. 
But we also need, be, need to be devoted to prayer. And so I would love for us to have a, a regularly scheduled prayer meeting. It needs to be something where we have a time devoted to prayer. Now listen, prayer takes place in a part of the corporate worship service. It is a part of our practice. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation, and a big part of that invitation is for you to spend time in prayer. For all of us to reflect on what God has spoken. But I would like to see us have more devoted time to prayer and corporate prayer. Praying together with one accord the way that they did here in Acts. Praying for God to move on our behalf. So, what I have is, I have another sign-up list. Seems like we've had a lot of sign-up lists lately. <laughs> All right? But this sign-up list, is, it just says prayer meeting sign-up. If you feel like that's something God's placed on your heart as well, and you want to be a part of a regular prayer meeting here, I, I encourage you to sign up. And out beside your name, there's three spaces Tell me the three best times for you on a weekly basis. And you can be as broad or as specific as you want to be and need to be. We can't accommodate everyone's schedules. All right? we, we all have lots of things going on and we understand that. And there, there may be some of you who want to be a part of this, but it's just not going to, you don't have that in your schedule. But I'm going to encourage you to pray about that when you would be willing to commit to a prayer meeting. And I'm hoping that by the beginning of March, we'll have a regular weekly prayer meeting where we gather together to pray with one heart and one accord that we would see the hand of God move in a powerful way. Now listen, we'll be talking more about that as, as the time arrives but I'm going to put this sign-up list at the back. And I want you to prayerfully consider whether or not that's, that's something for you to be a part of. Listen, most difficult thing for me right now in my life is finding time. I got an invitation to be a part of a, a, a board that I really want to be a part of. And I'm, I'm weighing that against whether or not I have the time to commit to it. There are other ministries going on around in Franklin County that I would really love to be a part of. But time is, is a difficult thing. But there are some things that are more important. And there are some things that are absolutely critical. Listen, I want to see God move. I want to see his presence come down. I, I want to experience the, the, the feeling of God's presence in such a way that it rattles wherever I'm at. I, I want to know that God is with me. I want to feel that boldness overwhelm me. And I believe that God wants to move in that kind of way. I believe that God wants us to know where he's headed, and where he's leading us. And I, I believe that prayer is the way in which we find it. And so it's worth it to me to carve out time. And my prayer is that it'll be worth it to you.
And I believe that God is going to just open up doors for us. He's going to clarify the path forward for us. And we're going to see God move in ways that we only hear stories about as we gather together to pray with one heart. If we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, then we need to pray the way God calls us to pray. And I believe that happens individually in our own hearts and in our own homes and daily as we go throughout our lives, but I believe it also happens in corporate meetings, gathered together in one accord to pray for, to pray for one thing at a time. This morning I want you to consider how God could use you as a prayer warrior for him. Some of you, that's, this is not going to be a possibility, and I understand. But you can pray along with us, even at home. Maybe for you, it, you can recognize right now in your life, prayer is just kind of a punctuation. It's something you do at the start or end of this or that. Not something that you really devote time to. Maybe God's calling on you to devote more time to prayer. Whatever it is, I pray that you would respond to the Lord. That you would be yielded to whatever direction He leads you in. And I'm going to pray right now that God speaks to us in our own hearts and calls on us to be who He wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word that teaches us the truth. And God, I thank you for example after example in your word that where we see people gather together to pray corporately and you move mightily. Thank you. That Lord, you have promised us that you will hear our prayer when we come to you. Jesus, thank you for promising us that you will, you will do what we ask in your name. Father, help us to believe that to the point that it causes us to live it. Help us to believe it and live like we believe it. Father, so often as I think about prayer and what power is involved there, I feel like the man who came to you who said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Father, I pray that you would receive the glory and the honor that you're due as we gather to pray in your name. Father, call on each of us Help us to find that time to carve out for prayer. Help us to see prayer as important as it is. May we be a people of prayer. May this be a church of prayer as we move forward in following after you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.